I wonder how the Israelites felt after that first victory we heard about last Sunday. We've been walking through the book of Joshua and David uh, shared with us a message about how the Israelites had come to that, that first battle, that first major obstacle, that city of Jericho, and after this great victory that the Lord had brought about, not by their strength, not by their power, but God, by his very presence, brought the walls down. God opened up the door for this new promised land, this land of inheritance. I wonder... Did they have that sense of holy ground? I wonder if they felt like, yes, we're there. This is the place we've been anticipating. We are in that promised land. I don't know if you um, have ever had that anticipated new place, that place that you were excited about. Maybe it was a move across the country. Maybe it was a move down the street. Maybe it was that new home you finally bought. I don't know if it's the same. But I definitely did. My wife and I bought our very first home together, uh, our very first house uh, up in, in upstate New York, and we were so excited. I mean, it was this cute little little Cape Cod house, and it was yellow, and it had a little ye matching yellow fire hydrant in front. We were excited about it. And, um, I, you know, I had made promises of like, oh, yeah, we can renovate some of those things down the road. <clears throat> she knows me, and she's like, no, let's do that now. Because if we down the road it, it's going to be down the road decades, and we're going to be moving out while you're fixing up the final things. Let's do it now. And so we began to kind of tear down some of the sheetrock. We began to kind of do some renovations that we wanted to do and kind of put a little dormer in upstairs, the expanded upstairs bedroom. And if you flip to this next slide, this is what we found beneath the back wall. This new promised land home. Can you see it? In between the studs, the insulation this is upstate New York people it doesn't get above 70 degrees in the summer I mean it was cold and we had newspaper in the walls I'm not sure that that was up to code I'm not sure that that's a fire safety um, hey bundle up some newspaper that's how I start fires right that's what we used to this is what they I, I thought oh my goodness what a surprise. There was buried underneath this nice little home, this, all the walls. What was buried underneath was fire hazard, lack of heat, lack of security. <clears throat> we, we, we moved on. We've come here and sold that house. Someone else can find the, find the discovery. But anyway, we moved on, right? Left that behind. Here, the people of God in this promised land had to end up make a discovery. There were sins and there were things that were buried in the camp that God, out of his love, needed to get out. So let's turn, as we continue our story, to Joshua chapter 7, where we pick up the story after this battle of Jericho. And it says this in verse 2. Now, in chapter 7, Joshua sent men from Jericho, where they had just succeeded in their first battle, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out that region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they had returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. <laughs> Just send two or 3,000 men to take it. Don't even weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. Whew, we got out of the big battle. This is going to be the easy one. AI, it's simple. Verse 4. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed. They were defeated. 
They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. There was tragedy there. And what does it say? They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and they struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people, over a million people, the hearts of the people, the Israelites, melted in fear, and they became like water. Joshua, the leader, tore his clothes. He fell face down before the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel, they did the same thing, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Now, what was going on? The people who had just experienced this great victory that God had brought about by his power, when they went up to face their own battle, when they faced the first adversary, who was supposed to be pretty easy. I mean, this is AI. This isn't a big city. This isn't a top-ranked team here. This isn't a significant military force. They thought, well, this will be easy. And all of a sudden, they encountered failure. Now, we've seen enough sports that we realize this happens. Do you remember when uh, University of Richmond faced my UMBC Retrievers, right, a few years back in the opening game? Number one ranked in the NCAA basketball tournament loses to last ranked, right? We know that sometimes teams get overconfident, but that's not what was going on here. It wasn't an overconfidence. They had confidence in God. They thought God had won the victory before. So what has happened? They're actually in a quandary. They're in a panic. They're tearing clothes. They're praying before God. They're throwing dust on their heads. They're like, Lord, what have we done? What's gone wrong? What's happening? They're groveling. They're in panic. And they're like, if God can't help us defeat AI, if, if all of a sudden the gods of this place are more powerful or we've done something wrong, they're in a panic what do we do now? We're stuck. Things had gone wrong. How do you react when things go wrong? How do you react typically when things go wrong? Now, it's interesting. I seem to see these characteristics. <clears throat> I'm not going to say that I see them all in myself, though I kind of do. Do you see these in yourself when things go wrong? Do you start blaming others? the management. Management, that, you know, those guys, if they would get their act, we blame others. Or maybe we question the decision in the first place. We should not have moved here. I should not have taken this job. Oh, we shouldn't have made that decision in parenting. Do you sort of have all of these questions that pop up where you begin to say, man, maybe this was the wrong decision in the first place? Sometimes, <clears throat> can I just go ahead and confess this is me? We go worst case scenario. Oh no, there's a leaky faucet. Our water bill is going to be incredible. We're probably going to go bankrupt. We're going to be living on the street, right? I mean, we kind of get, we go panicky. We slippery slope it. We go down this path where we start thinking something small becomes something big. And we start thinking, oh no, how are we ever going to, to get through this? How is, or finally, we try to control the narrative. We try to manipulate the situation. We try to make it ours. It, it, like, okay, well, maybe if I can get everybody on board with me, I can hurry up and solve it by, by manipulation or, or doing my own thing. Watch what happens in the prayer of Joshua. You will see these four things. Watch Joshua, the leader of God's people, do the, does this very thing. First of all, he does the blame. Look at in verse 7. And Joshua cries out as his clothes are torn with dust on his head. He says, alas, sovereign Lord, why did you 
ever bring us to this place? Why did you bring this people across the Jordan River to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, what is, this is kind of your fault. God, let, let's face facts. Do we get where we blame others in our situations first? Is that our first thought? Oh, it's managed. Do we do that in the church? You know, it's that, those trustees or the committees. Oh, you know, the former pastor back there, you know, it was his fault. Oh, oh, you know what? <clears throat> pastor Mike, I just think if he would like wear a tie or something. I mean, do we find something, some fault, someplace, somewhere else? Do we begin to complain and blame and try to put it on someone else? And even just like Joshua, do we blame God? God, is this kind of you? Well, the second thing we do is we begin to question. We begin to look back and say, well, if only, he says, we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. You know, two and a half, two and a half tribes, they actually had this little bargain with Moses and the land over here is pretty good. There's plenty of it. We've already conquered the people over here. Why can't we just stay on the east side of the Jordan? And Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh stayed over on the east side of the Jordan. And they built their cities and made their homes and they were prosperous. And here's Joshua with the people going, Guys, why didn't we just stay back there? Why didn't we just keep it doing that way? Did, are we making the right call here? Are, are, are we, did we make the right decision here? Should we even be remodeling the house? Because now we've got to like fix the insulation, and now we've got to do... I mean, should we even disturb what's going on? Why did we... Does anybody question their decisions and think they made bad ones? Yeah, I do. I start panicking, oh no, and questioning. Is this the right way? Next, Joshua does the very third thing. He begins to do the worst case scenario. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I know I'm in a bad place right now. I'm kind of complaining. But he says, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, all of the Canaanites, all of the peoples in the surrounding kingdoms, all of the big city states, they will hear about this. And they will surround us and they will wipe out our name from the earth. You, you, you see the worst case scenario here? You lost one battle, buddy. <laughs> the, the season, there's still a whole season here. You lost one battle. This isn't the end. You didn't lose the whole army. 36 men died. I mean, that's a tragedy, but it, it was out of your 3,000. And that was even your smallest contingent of your army. You have a lot more soldiers. Why are you panicking? This is not the end, John. But boy, we do. We do. Any little hiccup feels like it's the end of the world. Where is our faith? Where is our faith? And finally, look at what Joshua does next. <clears throat> and so God, what will then you do for your own great name? See God, if you will like help us win, then your fame will get bigger and wouldn't this be good for you, God? Come on, make it work out for us because then it works out for you. See, this is a win-win, God. If you will bless me, I'll tell everybody else that it was a blessing. If you give me that new car, God, I'm going to put a bumper sticker on the back that says, blessing from the Lord. You know, right? Right? And it probably ought to be a really nice car because then it would be a bigger blessing. If it's a, you know, kind of a $500 special over here, blessing from the Lord, I'm still thankful. But will your great name? Okay. 
we don't manipulate God, right? <laughs> We're not going to get convince him that our way is best. God actually is God. God knows what's best. God knows what's right. But guys, these are our typical reactions. When things aren't going well, we are groveling, we are complaining, we are panicking, we are bargaining, we are doing everything we can. Is this our pattern? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's our pattern in our life. Is this our pattern in this church? Are we quick to blame? Are we quick to try to manipulate God? Are we quick to go into a worst-case scenario mode like, oh, no, it's all falling apart. We've got weeks left. Are, are, are we quick to, to question, well, well, I don't know about this is right. I don't know if this is right. Brothers and sisters, you know, right? that the rebirth, revitalization of this congregation has less to do with how super smart we are, how great our decisions are, how <clears throat> charismatic and wonderful our pastoral leadership might be. You know it has very little to do with that, if anything at all, and everything to do with God Almighty. Everything to do with God and his ways. Everything to do with the Lord working in us. When we start thinking that this is somehow in our ability, eh, we can handle this. AI, they're not so strong. <laughs> Get ready for the loss. <laughs> when we start thinking, oh, well, I think we got this covered. Start waking, get ready for God to wake us up. We need the Lord every moment. We need the Lord more than we realize. The Lord is God, and we are not. We're not going to manipulate him. He's not going to let us go down the worst-case scenario. He's already provided salvation through Jesus. How much more will he, along with Jesus, give us all things? That is the promise in Romans chapter 8. Well, while this may be how we typically react when things go bad, Here's what I want you to see. How does God act when things are bad, when things are wrong? Not when we just think they're going wrong, but when they actually are wrong. You see, God actually speaks to Joshua and speaks to God's people, and he gives them three things. One, he's going to tell them to stand, get up, get ready, and get right. Watch what happens in the story. The Lord says to Joshua in verse 10, Stand up. Get up. What are you doing here on your face? Well, that's exactly what we do, right? We grovel. We complain. We, we agonize. Get up. The Lord God is holy, and the Lord God is among us. The Lord God has redeemed us and given us a permanent place of sonship, of daughtership in his family. We belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let's get back up off our faces. Get up. Quit trying to manipulate. Quit trying to agonize, but get up. And then he explains, verse 11, Israel has sinned. There is something you should be agonizing about. There's something you should be sorry about. It's not just this, oh Lord, you've left us. No, 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 no. Israel sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them in their own possessions. Did you hear what happened? They took, they stole. What was God so upset about? Well, last week you heard in David's sermon that the Lord said that everything in Jericho was going to be devoted to God. Now, 
the gold, the silver, the fines, any finery, it's all going to go into the temple treasury. The people weren't supposed to keep it as plunder. They weren't supposed to keep it for themselves. It is devoted to destruction. It is either devoted as an offering or it was just going to be burned up and destroyed. It was all to be dedicated to God. And you're not supposed to keep any of it. God was laying out a lesson for them. This is not about your personal enrichment. This is about a mission and an agenda that God had. Well, look at verse 1. We skipped this, actually, in this chapter. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. They were unfaithful. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel took some of these devoted things. It says he took some gold that he saw and some silver that he saw and this beautiful robe from Babylon. And it was like, woo, this is a really nice robe. And he took all of those things and he hid them, we're going to discover, in his tent. Now, guys, what was so wrong with this? What was so wrong with this? I mean, you're just going to burn up the robe from Babylon and it's a nice robe. It could be given to the poor or me. <laughs> I, I, what, what's so wrong with, with, with getting... It seems wasteful, God. And the treasury, let's face facts, God. <clears throat> you got plenty, and uh, we're all out here in the wilderness wandering around. I mean, there's not really a temple. We, the Israelites, you're providing for us anyway. What's so wrong with us doing a little bit for my family? I'm saving for a college fund. That's important. Education. God, you value education, I'm sure. You told us to learn the law, and that, that's education. So really, I can begin to justify what's so wrong. It was a heart thing. They violated covenant. They violated this agreement that they had between I will be God and you will be my people. You will obey and I will bless, but you disobey and there will be curse. They, they violated it. They took things that were supposed to be devoted to God as if it was like their own to mess around with. They, instead of seeing like God is holy and God is God and it belongs to him. So they stole, they lied, and finally they claimed God's possession as their own. In high school, <clears throat> and this was actually early on, this was more like middle school age kind of a thing, there was a group of guys in our youth group. It was a large church. I grew up in a very big church. And what was really odd in our church, kind of, we had multiple church staff members. You know, there was a pastor and a music minister, minister of education. There was an organist. It was a large church. We had various ministry assistants that, that helped out with different areas. It was a large church. All of the people in the church, the staff members, seemed to have a child exactly the same age. It was odd. We were all boys. We were the basketball team together. We were in the royal ambassadors together. But we were all the same age. We were all fifth graders. We were all sixth graders. I mean, we kind of walked through it. So it was me and Bill and Scott and Brian and Matt. and uh, We were all the same age. Now... <clears throat> Long about middle school, you know, boys get in trouble and that kind of thing. And there was a couple of the guys in the group that decided they were going to... <clears throat> they saw this little money passing by on the offering plate on Sundays. And they thought, this church is big. It's got plenty of money. They won't miss that dollar. Or that five... There's a five dollar in there. Woohoo! It's a ten, twenty dollar day. And, and these guys begin to slip some money out of the offering plate. This was a big church. It had a lot of money. It didn't need that $10. It didn't need that $20. 
But they just, you know, began to justify, slip it out. They could buy some candy with it, or we didn't even have video games. And then what else are you going to buy? A new football, a new basketball? I don't know. But began to slip out the money out of the offering plate. God did a work in those group of young boys, including me. It was interesting. When we got older, that group seemed to have a revival. During like our junior and senior year of high school, it was interesting what God began to do through these young men. I mean, just every, and many of them became like Christian radio guy, a youth minister guy, a pastor guy. I mean, God began to call out this particular set of young men. Except the two that were involved in the little money swindle. The, the, the two that were the ones that, that, that stole the money. I, I don't know why, but they never seemed to be like into the youth camp thing like the rest of us. They, they never seemed to really be hungry uh, to know God like the rest of us. They, they never sort of experienced that transformational work like the rest of us. Now, was this somehow God's big giant judgment on their lives because they stole $20 out of the offering plate? No, I don't think so. But here's what I think there was a hardness of heart that began to develop. There was a hardness of heart that began to develop in these two. There was a hardness of heart that just began to say, the devoted things, God, God doesn't need, I'll just, I'll justify, I'll be God. I will treat God's possessions as if it's mine. I will treat my life as if God's word and his rules don't have any application to me because I'm in charge. I will be the sinner. I will be king. I will be God. And isn't that always what sin looks like? And the hearts begin to get hard. That's why God is upset. God's not upset because, oh, there's some robe in Babylon that God wanted to go onto the fire because somehow it would get burned up and go to heaven or something. The, the robe, it had nothing to do with the robe. It had nothing to do with the gold. Did you know all gold belongs to God? Yeah, the whole planet does. It's all his. All silver belongs to God. It's all his. God wasn't so concerned about the, the Babylonian robe, the gold or the silver, but God was absolutely concerned with the heart of God's people. That they began to say, we will compromise, we will settle, we will be okay with this little sin, or this little sin, or this little sin, which might not be little sins at all, but are taking what is God's, violating the covenant, stealing and lying from him, and claiming that God's very own, his very own people, which includes you, if you are part of the people of God, we will claim that that's ours, and we will try to take charge. Verse 12, the Lord speaks and continues and says, that is why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They have turned their backs and they run and they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is devoted to destruction. This is serious. I can't just keep going along this way. God would not be that good father to us if he allowed us to let our hearts get harder and harder. If he allowed us to keep just sort of tolerating the sin in our midst, God would not be good if he didn't call us to repentance and to change and to life transformation. So the first thing is get up, get off your face and think that you're going to manipulate and blame and whatever and get up and face the facts. Number two, he tells them to get ready. Watch what God does. This, this is so reveals the heart of the Lord. Look what it says in verse 13. He says, so go consecrate the people. Tell them consecrate yourselves to, in preparation for tomorrow. For tomorrow, 
Why not just do it today, God? No, for this is what the sovereign Lord God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you. I know exactly what's going on. God already knows. He says there are devoted things among you. Well, shouldn't we deal with it right now? No, tomorrow, Joshua. You can't stand against your enemies until you remove them. So here's what he's going to do. Go consecrate your people for tomorrow. Here's what it says in verse 14. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. And the tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. And the clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Get ready for how God is going to move in your midst tomorrow. Before we move forward, think about if you were aching at that moment. Okay, guys, we've got an announcement. Everybody, um, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've done this before. Before we go to battle, before we cross the Jordan, consecrate yourselves. Get ready, pray. Okay, I'll do that. Tomorrow, we're going to have a special meeting. Okay, special meeting. Okay, we're ready. It's promised land time. We're ready for special meetings. Let's go. Um, we're going to deal with some sin in the camp. Okay, yeah, well, we should deal with that, you know. Okay. We're going to bring you forward tribe by tribe clan by clan, family by family, until we find the man who's got the stolen goods, until the man with the devoted things um, gets pointed out. That's happening tomorrow. Tomorrow, you say. Hey, can you imagine if you were aching? So wait, we're going man, but wait, wait, you, um, I'm sure some other people probably took some stuff too, right? I mean, it's probably he's heard about it. It's probably, I, I don't think anybody might knows about my stuff. It's probably somebody else. It's probably something else. And yet here, God's saying, no, we're coming, and I'm going to come to your house. God was doing a mercy here. This was grace. The time to confess is now. The time to say, hey, Joshua, actually, um, <clears throat> it's me. The time was now. When the guilt was there, when the obvious plan of God was there, God in his mercy was saying, this is what we're doing tomorrow. A anybody? Anybody want to fess up? Now is the time for confession because the day of reckoning was coming. Look at the get right. Um, finally, God does tell us to get right, and here's what happened. We'll wrap up the story with this. Verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua had the tribe of Israel come, or had Israel come forward tribe by tribe, and Judah was chosen. Next verse. Um, <clears throat> the clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. It's getting a little closer. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward, family by family, and Zimri was chosen. Now, Achan, at this point, buddy, <laughs> it's your family. It's time to, like, fess up. He still doesn't move. And, of course, verse 18. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. It's you. Joshua says to Achan, my son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done, and don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it, it, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold waving 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground beside my tent with the silver underneath. Why did he go through the litany of things that he had taken? Was it an excuse? 
Well, you understand, everybody, it was a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I don't know how much that is, but let's just say it's a lot. Um, there was, I mean, however many shekels of silver, I mean, 200 shekels of silver. And that robe, oh, I could show it to you. You're going to be really impressed by this one. It would be a tragedy to have it burned up. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing? Well, God, um, <clears throat> surely you would understand why I'm tempted by, right? But you don't understand. My emotions just overcame me, and this is why I crossed this line. Oh, you don't understand, Lord. This is, and we have our reasons. We have our sins. We have the things that tempt us. We have the things that pull at our hearts. But when God is God in our lives, when he is the center of all that we do, when he is exalted, when we see it as holy ground, and we see our lives as his holy possession, then how can we, how can we treat God's commands, his calling with contempt? Well, there's three reactions today. They're pretty typical. One, you are feeling it. You know I'm that person. I've not been walking with holiness. I've not been seeking to have God as the center of my... I've crossed some lines that I know God has not got for me, and you are already feeling guilt-ridden. Some of you today are more of the who-me. <laughs> I, I don't think of me. I, I, you know, um, you know, other people do really bad stuff, but it's probably not me. Who-me? Maybe we don't see what we consider okay. Well, it's just gossip. It's just, it's just bless you. It's just complaining. It's just, it's just the little things. Who, me? Some of us are, wait, what? Is there sin in the camp? Is there sin in the camp? Uh, I wasn't expecting that to be here at this church. I'm kind of like, is there really sin in the camp? Wait, what? Well, Scripture gives us some guidance. For those of you who are, it's me. Look at how David when he was confronted with his sin, he cries out to God in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. You see, we have a God that we cry out to who has already paid the penalty for your sins. We have a God that we cry out to who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to substitute for us. We have a Savior. We have redemption. We have a way out because God is merciful and his compassions, they never fail. But don't excuse that or think of that as an excuse not to come to him and do like David said, Lord, have mercy on me according to what you've done in Christ Jesus. There's some of you that are the, who, me? Wait, what? <laughs> Maybe we need to cry out like Psalm 139. The psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Maybe you are walking in the Spirit today. Maybe today you're feeling very good, but you're asking the Lord, God, just check it out. Is there something that, that you need to show me from your word? Is there something that you need to convict me of? And finally, the wait, what? Why are we doing this as a church? Why, why would we confess as a church? Why, why, what are we talking about? All the way through the scriptures, there are corporate times of confession. 
When we, maybe we don't even know all the sins that are there, but we know that it hasn't been completely right. In Daniel, Daniel, the one guy who was faithful to God, the one guy who seemed to be faithful throughout his lifetime, during all of the captivity and all of the judgment of God, he becomes the one that confesses and says, I prayed to the Lord God and confessed. Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. It wasn't Daniel, but the people. We have done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Sometimes as God's people, we just say, we haven't been right. Valley Baptist Church has not always in their history done everything correctly. We have often disregarded God's call. We sometimes have tolerated things that we shouldn't have tolerated or failed to confront those that you loved and we needed to confront. We as a church have not always done all that we should do. So today, today, I'm asking you in holy ground, in the presence of God, to join me, to join me, not just me in general, but me who knows all the sins of my heart, who knows the places where I have not been faithful to the Lord, who knows my own struggles and sin, to join me in confession to join me in saying to the Lord that we as a church have not always been in the right place. Lord, you and the things that come to mind, you confess them, but we're going to pray to the Lord and have a, a prayer of confession. But then we're going to have a time, a time before God. The altar would be open if you need to come and sit on the front pew or to kneel or to be right where you are. We're going to have time where you can confess maybe your own sins, maybe places where you haven't been walking with the Lord. We're going to have this time in holy ground to confess. Would you pray this prayer, not out loud, but as I read it, you pray with your heart together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you. Through our own fault, in thought and word and deed, and in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Today, if you need to confess sins openly, um, I'm going to be at the front if you want to speak with me. If you want to come and kneel at the altar or sit on the front pew, uh, but just to spend time with God, you take this time to confess to the Lord. If you need to pray right where you're seated, you take this time to be before God, to know of his mercy, but to confess and say, this is right, you are right, and what I have done is wrong.
In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, we read that the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against Him. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Today, we celebrate that God's promise is true. If he'd kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, to say the same thing, to say it out loud, God, this is wrong, this is, I have sinned, and I want it out of my life. That's confession. He's faithful. He's just. He forgives us and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Today, if you have trusted in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He allows us to serve in holiness and righteousness, in the power of His Spirit. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to have a song, uh, a song to close, a song of celebration, a song that Aaron's going to lead us in. But for you, maybe during this song, you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to be here at the front. Come, trust Jesus as your Savior. Come, accept the forgiveness that He gives. Or maybe today, you're saying, this is the church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that, that, that wants to live in holiness. You come. We're here at the front. If there's a decision that you need to make or someone you just need to pray with, you respond as God is calling you.